0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, uh, along with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. I'm back on dry land in a temperate climate after a sojourn in the high Arctic, following in the footsteps of Franklin. Uh, that would be uh, Captain Sir John Franklin, not Germaine, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, very happy to be back and uh, very happy to see you here in one piece. Uh, you know, after following that expedition, my mind has been going in certain places and I'm very happy to see that you haven't gotten horribly lost in terrible circumstances or suffered a protracted and cold death or been the victim of cannibalism or even, as far as I know, resorted to cannibalism. I mean, I don't know. If you have resorted to cannibalism or not, I mean, what you get right. up to in your own house is your business. But,
1: <laughs> but I can't imagine that's a path that you'd. Certainly want to get down. You know, but, if uh, it, if that were what I was up to, it it ex, that it stops being just my business once I'm committing well, a crime. I that's true I by definition, right. right? So we live in a society that. and all. Kazakhstan's uh, <laughs> a famously so, say. right. <laughs> yeah, no, none of none of that stuff going on here. The things you experienced and uh, studied while sailing about the Arctic. Uh, no no cannibalism or even thoughts of cannibalism uh, on Thanks. my end but uh but, well, welcome back it's uh, it's Thank good you. to good to have you uh back in the states although i have to be honest it's going to be really hard to go back to co-hosting this podcast with a non hall of famer <laughs> uh you know, it's like uh, after you get used to flying in first class i, I can't right. go back to flying coach i can't right. i won't oh, to, me- to make the second yeah, exactly. Seinfeld reference of the podcast. But uh, yeah, it's a big come down, but, uh, but I guess I don't have a choice. So uh, I'll soldier on and somehow or other I'll get through this.
0: Hey, well, Ed Brophy did say that we are absolutely possibly, maybe con- <laughs> conceivably at some point in the future if we do this until we're 80 possible borderline <laughs> Hall of Famers ourselves.
1: Right. It, I, it almost opened the door for a dumb and dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> Because that's kind of what he was saying. You can't kind completely of. rule it out, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, in in all seriousness, it was really damn cool to have Al Bernstein and Barry Tompkins fill in for you. Two truly great guys. Quite an honor for me. Uh, but you were missed also uh, by me and by the listeners, I presume. Uh, those, well, those guys. I hope so. Yeah, I know. Well. I can I can assure you that from my perspective you were missed. I I can't speak for the listeners. Um, Only but that uh, matters is as if Brian Daly missed me. That's all <laughs> I care about. Yeah, I can't speak for him either. Mm. Um, but uh, but no, but but Alan Al Barry make nice fill-ins, but there's no evidence that they can deliver week in and week out like you do. So Definitely. glad to have you back, Kieran. You know, like Rasky and the Burn, Rasky and the Tomp. <laughs> it's not the same as Rasky and the Moth. <laughs>
0: Uh, indeed we've we've got to do we've got to like record that promo it's rescue in the mall possibly on our way out of the door there you go and in the meantime it's back to business and uh, this week on the podcast we have a bit of news to cover not a lot but a bit um and a major fight to preview in errol spence jr against sean porter but we start with this past weekend's fights and uh what was a very interesting in the end showbox triple header uh we saw an upset in the main event, lightweight Michael Dutchover fighting in front of a partisan and ultimately object throwing uh, <laughs> home crowd in Midlands, Texas, uh, lost his perfect record by an eighth round TKO against Thomas Matisse uh, when a punch opened up a nasty cut uh, on his left eyebrow and the fight was stopped moments afterwards. So Dutchover was a victim of some bad luck there, but it was. On the way, perhaps they're benefiting from some good luck. Uh, The fight was very close at the time, uh, but two judges nonetheless had Dutch over comfortably ahead after seven rounds. Uh, Raul Marquez wasn't convinced the fight needed to be stopped. It's just, I will admit, I cracked up listening to Raul Marquez, of course, going, it's not that bad of a cut. I've had worse. (laughs) Of course he has. Um, But Eric, what did you think of that ending, uh, and of the scoring up until that point, and indeed both fighters' performances.
1: It was unlucky for Dutch over, but I think the stoppage was reasonable. I'm not sure Raul Marquez should be used as a barometer for (laughs) severity of cuts. It was a huge, nasty cut. Uh, Could they have waited and given the corner a chance to work on it? I suppose. But with a cut that big in that spot, Can't fault him for waving it off quickly. Uh, Although, you know, I I went on a rant last week on the podcast about how if Tyson Fury wasn't Tyson Fury, his fight probably would have been stopped. This example hammers that home. Uh, Dutchover's cut wasn't any worse than Fury's. Good for Dutchover, by the way, uh, for telling the crowd to knock it off when they were throwing crap into the ring, as as you alluded to there. Uh, He he handled that situation very well, and the crap throwing seemed to stop. Um, But as for the scoring, I had... Dutch over up by a point through seven rounds, but Matisse was looking stronger the last several rounds and might have gone on to win on my scorecard if they'd let the fight go all 10 rounds. This was as good overall a performance as I've seen out of Matisse. He used his length and fought smart, but he also fought with energy and urgency and This thing was competitive every single round. Uh, He certainly dominated the battle of jabs, but credit to Dutchover for finding ways to get inside and be effective. He used body shots. He utilized uppercuts with both hands inside. He took advantage when Matisse covered up and stopped punching. I don't think Dutchover fought badly. It was just a legit step up. And it appears he's not one of those special prospects. Although I still... I I hesitate to say that definitively. I don't want to totally jump to conclusions off of one performance, but that's how it appeared here. Um, So who who did you have ahead through seven rounds? And did you see this as more of a case of Dutch over not being all that he was hyped up to be or of Matisse finally delivering on his promise?
0: Uh, so I scored it the same as you. I had Dutch over up by one point. Um, I had him losing momentum, as you alluded to in the fight, although I thought he snuck it back a little bit with that seventh round. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that I'd read too much in terms of meaning one way or the other. I think it wasn't a case of one guy not being as good as we thought, or one guy being better. I just think it was a case of good matchmaking, actually. It was just sure. a good a good fight um you know i agree with, with what raoul said at the end not about the cup but about that you know this isn't a loss for dutch over to be ashamed of um right. in any way uh, you know uh, there is no knowing how it how it would have ended up had it gone the distance um you know matisse fought well as he said you know he's he's got a little bit of experience and he, he put it together very well i mean he certainly looked better than the last time we saw him on showbox that's for sure um this was a night where it's sometimes a, a fighter would just put it all together. Uh, and this felt like that was what Thomas Matisse was doing. Um, you know, he had that reach advantage and, and he did use it effectively, as you said, with that jab. But, you know, at the same time, as you said, over didn't fight particularly poorly at all. It was he was just in a close fight. It was, you know, we've talked about this before this year about the perils of homecoming fights. Mm -hmm. Um I don't know if that was a factor, a little bit, if maybe there was a little bit of extra pressure there, because you know the crowd certainly came alive for the main event. Um obviously they were very partisan, but no, I I agree with you. I think this was a case of a young guy in a step-up fight. Didn't quite work out for him. No problem. Learn and move on. I, I think I don't know that this fight tells us a lot about him. What he does next. Yeah, and how he responds is is will tell us about, about Dutch Over, I think.
1: Well, yeah. Well, speaking of what he does next, uh, to me, all the ingredients are there for a rematch, for mm-hmm. the fans to want to see it again and for the fighters to want to do it again. Uh, I don't know if Dutch Over will want to do it as another homecoming fight, um, no. because, uh, as you alluded, maybe that was part of the issue here if he underperformed slightly. But if he does want to do it as another homecoming fight, this can sell many times more tickets the next time, I would think. Um, and it obviously sold quite uh, just fine the first time. Um, it will take time for that cut to heal, but mm. once it does, I think this fight screams for an immediate rematch. I'd love to see it. The, the fight was fun, and neither man proved superiority. I say, let's do it again as soon as we can. You know, so- sometimes you ease a prospect back after a loss. Uh, or if you're Matisse, you try to jump up to a bigger fight after an upset win. Right. Uh, not sure if you agree with me, but I think this is one case where the immediate rematch makes the most sense.
0: Yeah, I'd be very happy to see it. I, I just think it's a case of, you know, where's Dutch over his head after this? Mm-hmm. Um, does he does he need a a, a win first um, against? Does he need to fight somebody else uh, initially, or not? Or does he, you know, just acknowledge? Heck, it was a tough fight. It was a close fight. I was winning the fight. It was just unfortunate. Let's do it again. Um, and yeah, and I think that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that about Matisse. That maybe it's not in Matisse's interest. Maybe, maybe there's a bigger fight for him. Um, I, I don't know. But yeah, I think it just really depends on where Dutch Over's head is at. And and I do think that actually it's one of those situations where if they do have a rematch, and he does win the rematch. The whole sequence will have done him more good than if he'd just won on Friday night, if you know yeah. what I mean, because it will have proven to him he can go in against a tough guy. Things can go against him and he can still learn and bounce back from that. And and that can actually be really beneficial in terms of his development.
1: Yeah, definitely. Although then then there's the, the downside if he accepts exactly. him again and loses again, then there's a, a little bit of a back to the drawing board kind of situation there with him um, in the co-featured bout we saw two things we've grown used to seeing on Showbox. Uh, Ruben Villa boxing his way to clear-cut decision wins and rope failures causing long delays. Uh, In this case, it was a delay of 10 minutes and 45 seconds when a rope actually broke. Uh, during which Barry, Steve, and Raul vamped magnificently. and made me laugh a couple of times, particularly when Barry said, this is the boxing equivalent of HGTV. <laughs> uh, you can't fast forward through it when there's a delay on Showbox. These guys are too entertaining. Uh, anyway, the fight eventually continued. And Via won a shutout decision on all three cards over Enrique Vivas, powered by a big left hand knockdown in the second round, uh, in ra- a round in which Vivas had to survive an extra minute due to a timekeeper's error. I thought it was a good performance by Via, but not the best I've seen out of him. Uh, Vivas' pressure definitely bothered him at times, and his power punch output was very low, just. 135 thrown in 10 rounds though he landed 59 percent of them uh what did you think of of via and vivas so possibly
0: unpopular opinion and certainly unhipsterish opinion Uh, i'm still waiting to get excited by ruben via and it's just not happening for me Mm. um for me there's something missing there you know and obviously you know a significant something that's missing is power. But, you right. know, I can get excited by pure boxes. I used to love watching Ivan Calderon box, for example. Um, but I don't know what it is with Via for me. I, I I just, I don't know. I think it almost feels as if it's, if not quite the same thing each time out. It's a very similar thing sure. each time out. You know, he gets into a groove. He outslicks and he outmoves his opponent. And it rarely changes up. It might vary from fight to fight. But the narrative within a fight rarely changes once he gets on track. You know, it took him a couple of rounds here against Vivas. But once he got into his groove, that was it. And and I don't know that there was ever very much, you know, what's the uh, tension, uncertainty, drama, any of that in there. So I think I have a feeling I, I guess he doesn't need to vary it up because so far, once he gets in a groove, he's so clearly superior to everyone he's faced. And I wonder if I'll end up liking him more when he has to step it up an extra notch against an extra level of opponent when he well maybe he has to go to a plan b or c and, and that's when i think we'll start seeing really what he has uh, i think i might be a bit frustrated because i feel there's something else there that we haven't quite seen yet but no one's testing him enough to bring it out so hmm. i mean he showed flashes of it you know with that with that knockdown right. and, and the, the way that he, he did have to adapt after an early some of the early slight struggles um but, yeah, yeah, I mean, for me, the, the greatest drama was wondering if round two would ever end. And, and as you alluded to, you know, enjoy, enjoying Barry and Steve and Raul. So, but I recognize Ruben Villa's talent. I really do. But at the moment, it's like I'm not like when, when we get the press release or, or we're told that he's going to fight. I'm not like, oh, boy, a Ruben Villa fight. It's just not doing it for me at the moment, which is not to detract from his talent. That's probably, it's probably not him. It's me, because <laughs> I believe that you feel quite differently about
1: him. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do enjoy him more than you do, and uh, whether you knew it or not, you made another Seinfeld reference there with the uh, it, "It's not you, it's me." That's my thing. Uh, you know, George, uh, George being offended that someone dare say "It's not you, it's me" to him. <laughs> if it's anyone, it's him. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, whether or not you're a hipster, uh, you're definitely a hater. You're, you're a hashtag oh, hater. Not no, a I, hate am, I know. Just I I'm not a not lover. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, well. hashtag not lover and it doesn't quite yeah. doesn't quite it roll does. off the tongue but it is interesting about that knockdown and about via's uh, general lack of power he almost seemed a little surprised himself that he landed that punch yeah. and it had that effect he's caught himself off guard with that one yeah um
0: and uh somebody who certainly doesn't seem to lack for power at all uh <laughs> we saw in the opening bout uh we got a brief look at undefeated welterweight prospect brandon lee who had a six fight first round knockout streak snapped by Milton Arouse, who extended Lee to the end of round two uh Lee landing a sudden right hand to score the stoppage at 259 of the round um I thought it was a bit difficult to judge Lee because he was a class above his opponent um I thought there were a couple of times where he looked a little bit loose but I think that was just because he was completely unthreatened by what was coming back at him uh obviously he's got good hand speed good power and I did like the fact also that he was quite happy to go to the jab, not just rely on power punches, but but set those punches up in, in round two when it looked like the guy wasn't getting out of there. Um, interesting first first impression of him. What what do you think about Brandon Lee?
1: Well, certainly the ending was spectacular. Um, on DraftKings, I picked a KO in the first two rounds and I had resigned myself to not getting the, the, the pick <laughs> perfect. Uh, looked like he, the, that round was about to end and then boom, just before the bell, that right hand crashes home. So yeah, we know Brandon Lee can punch. We don't know a whole lot else yet. Yeah. My one big criticism is that he's very susceptible to the left hook. He he drops mm-hmm. his right hand whenever he throws his own hook, and Arauz landed a few good clean hooks in the six minutes that the fight lasted. So that's something to work on. But obviously, Brandon Lee is a prospect worth continuing to follow. Not a whole lot of conclusions we can draw just right. yet. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, only one other televised fight card this past weekend on FS1 on Saturday night. I dreaded this main event between Alfredo (laughs) Angulo and Peter Quillen. Really felt Angulo shouldn't be fighting anymore. I come out of it feeling like neither guy should be fighting anymore. Angulo won an upset split decision in a fight that was entertaining in a way, but I couldn't enjoy it because... You just know these guys are both at a, a scary point in their careers. Angulo is astonishingly slow-fisted. <laughs> Do you remember when uh, a video of Jake LaMotta boxing in front of the mirror uh, when he was yeah. probably in like his late 80s when that was going around right. the internet?
0: Right, yeah.
1: I'm not so sure Angulo is any faster than <laughs> Jake was in that video. Um, I thought you were going to say Jake could still beat him. <laughs> uh, well, certainly not now. Well, uh, not- in his late 80s. No, I still I still wouldn't go that far. Um, because because Angulo did still show a few good qualities. He, he's determined. And when he lands, apparently there's still some pop. Uh, or maybe Quillen just has no chin whatsoever. Certainly Quillen's stamina isn't good. And his ability... Punches appear to have no snap at all anymore. Uh, I thought the judges got it right that, that Angulo deserved to win because even though the CompuBox stats kind of favored Quillen, Angulo's punches were doing damage. And Quillen was, yeah, he was out jabbing him, landing a fair number of jabs, but they just weren't effective at all. They weren't really holding Angulo off. He wasn't uh, really hurting Angulo at any point in the fight. Uh I guess it's good that they were fighting each other and not somebody young and quick. So at least there's that silver lining. Quillen said afterward that it's a good thing his wife has a job. Uh, another silver lining there, uh, but that you know that statement pretty well sums up where where things stand for him. I, I just I couldn't get into this fight. I couldn't enjoy it for that for that reason that that I that it was just uh, very cringy to watch. Were you able to enjoy this any more than I was?
0: No, I wasn't. I I, I echo. All of what you just said. I mean, yes, it was on one level an entertaining fight, like you said, but it was entertaining in the same way that watching a YouTube video of two drunk Russian pensioners (laughs) swinging at each other in the street and falling over every time they they throw a punch is entertaining. Um, And you alluded to this here a little bit. The worst aspect of this fight, and specifically its result, is the prospect that now Angulo will be put up against somebody young and quick. Mm. Um, I hope he doesn't end up getting a shot at, say, Caleb Blant, uh on the basis of this. Looks, I mean, that would be horrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know, but uh, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this phenomenon before when we are talking about Iris Landy Lara, namely that sometimes guys can get more exciting as they age because they can't get out of the way of punches and that can be misleading. It isn't that they're having late career renaissances. It's that they're getting worse. And, and Angulo's always been a <laughs> slow fisted face 1st yeah. fighter. And, and he's never been the fastest of guys. And, and now he's gotten worse. And, and so for me, what was interesting is what does this say about Peter Quillin? Like, what the hell happened to Peter Quillen? Did yeah. Did Danny Jacobs just finish him off? Um, and did he just never – he just dropped off a cliff. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't notice. Was he on a downslope before that fight? I didn't notice that. It's, was this just the case of a guy, you know, getting his chin checked, failing that test and then just never being the same again? I mean, he's just a shell. Yeah. Of what he was just a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, man, what a brutal business this is. You could be at the top and you could just fall down the ladder, ladder just like that. Um, but no, I'm the same as you. I don't really want to see either guy fight again. And it sounds like Quillen might feel that way about himself. <laughs> right. But I do fear about what might be next for Angulo. Um, also on that card, uh, Thomas Du outpointed Terrell Williams in an entertaining ten rounder. And we got a look at lightweight prospect. Chris Colbert uh, knocking out Miguel Beltran Jr. with a right hand to the ear at the end of the first round, just uh, (laughs) flattening him there. Um, Anything to comment on uh, with those
1: fights? Uh, Delorme Williams was solid, but of little consequence to anyone besides Delorme and Williams. Uh, So it's Colbert (laughs) who uh, is a a little more interesting to talk about. He's certainly a prospect who has my attention. He has flash, showmanship, obviously some real tools there. I look at him and uh, and I, I see a guy who should be looking to test himself on on Showbox uh, in 2020. I would hope that he, he's ready for that step up against fellow prospects and and, and see how he does.
0: All right. Um, well, it's time to look forward to this weekend's big fight. Uh, Saturday night on pay-per-view from the Staples Center in Los Angeles. Uh, two of the very best welterweights in the world collide. Uh, Errol Spence, Jr., Arguably deserving, and we'll talk about this a little bit, I suspect, of the number one ranking in the division, uh, taking on Sean Porter, uh, ranked by all respectable media outlets as a top five fighter at 147 pounds. Um, former Olympian Spence is undefeated, 25-0, 21 KOs. He's in his prime at age 29. He's coming off a dominant win in March over Mikey Garcia. Porter boasting a record of 30 wins, two losses and a draw. Uh, he's had a share of close fights, win and lose, uh, including his last time out in March. When uh, he captured a disputed split decision over Jordanis Ugas. Bugas, uh, there is a clear favorite here, and it is Spence. Uh, Porter is about a four to one or four, five to one underdog at the sports books. Eric, you are the betting fellow here. <laughs> what kind of chance do you give Sean Porter?
1: Yeah, not sure that I like the odds enough to uh, to bet either side in this one. Uh, it, it all depends on how Sean Porter decides to fight in terms of what kind mm. of chance he has. His last couple of times out. Uh, against your Dennis Ugas, where, as you said, he might not have deserved the win, and against Danny Garcia, where he had to rally out of an early hole. He tried to box intelligently from distance, and it just so clearly isn't what he does best. When he lowered his head and brawled against Garcia, and and I I mean that head-lowering thing figuratively and literally, um, he took over. Uh, That's what he does well he's a pain in the ass pressure fighter now i get why he's experimented with boxing more you know he's trying to prolong his career you, you can't just go through grueling non-stop pressure 12 rounder after grueling non-stop pressure 12 rounder and expect to have a lot of longevity um, but as a boxer sean porter's kind of ordinary as a pressure fighter he's elite and Spence is one of the best technical boxers in the game. So yeah. if Porter tries to outbox him, he's not a 4-1 to one or 5-1 to one underdog. He's a 20-1 to one underdog. Yeah. He has almost no chance of winning that kind of fight. If he applies relentless pressure, yeah, you know, I don't think it works. I still think he loses, <laughs> but at least he gives himself that chance of taking Spence out of his comfort zone and, and getting him to make mistakes, get frustrated, maybe get tired. To me, it's as simple as that. Spence dominates if Porter tries to box. Spence still probably wins if Porter tries to be a battering ram, but it's not a completely foregone conclusion. Uh, How about you? What do you think the chances of an upset are? And what would it say to you if Spence became the first fighter to really dominate Porter and maybe even to stop him?
0: Well, I'll take the first one first. Um, There's a reason why Porter is such an underdog, and it's not just because of the Uh, difference in skill. It's it's this is a horrible style matchup, I think, for Sean Porter. And you just really alluded to that. Um in that he absolutely can't box Spence. Spence is a better boxer. He's got that wonderful long jab. Um he's just gonna spear Porter with all night. And and I think he's gonna be the kind of guy it's gonna be hard for Porter to do what he does best and get inside on Spence, I think. Spence is a big tall strong welterweight um with that good reach he's it's just going to be very very hard for Porter, whatever he tries um, i agree with you that he should do what he does best to give himself the best chance but i don't think that chance is very high um and i would be a very significant statement uh if uh, if spence were to were to dominate porter and, and i don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility um right. Stopping him may be asking a lot. I think Porter's pretty strong and resilient. He seems to take punches pretty well. Um, Bruno dropped him, didn't he? But um, uh, but otherwise, uh, you know, he's he's pretty solid. I think. Um, if you were to stop him, it would be immense. It would be a statement not only to the welterweight division, but to compilers of pound-for-pound pound lists. Uh, I know a lot of people already have spent very high on that list. But I think, you know, if you were to stop Porter, you would have to consider him right up there with mm-hmm. Crawford and Canelo and Golovkin in the category of best actual human being in the sport. <laughs> and um, and a clear and dominant win, even without a stoppage. um absolutely give him bragging rights you know we talked already about you know does he deserve to be the number one in the welterweight division it would absolutely give him those bra- bragging rights um as good as sean porter is he's only one of the opponents spence is facing on saturday night in a sense right the other one in a metaphorical sense is terence crawford um right. and for all that i have maintained and continue to maintain that crawford is a better fighter than spence and i would make him the favorite if they face off if they faced off soon um this there's really would be no doubt that with a Porter win to go with wins over Mikey Garcia and Kelbrook Brook and Lamont Peterson Spence would have the much better resume um you know and you could say it's already superior to Terence Crawford's um and more to the point he's cranking up the significance of his matchups and the quality of his challengers at the very time that Terence Crawford is sort of standing still yeah so a clear win for Spence I think would be significant on multiple levels yeah having said all of that for all that Spence has indeed been elevating the standard of his matchups, has begin positioning himself as an elite fighter, as much as this is a very good fight and these are outstanding fighters, one question that has been percolating is, does it belong on pay-per-view? Um, what do you think? Do you, how, how do you see the fight performing, first of all, on pay-per-view? And is Spence doing himself a disservice? This is the second time on pay-per-view this year. Mm-hmm. He's sort of, on the one hand, taken advantage of the Fox publicity machine, but not gone all the way. Surely it would be better for him to be fighting, perhaps for less money, but on Fox so that so many people could see him and be exposed to him and perhaps it increases earning power down the line rather than taking himself off to pay-per-view. What do you think?
1: I I do think he's doing himself a disservice, but this is boxing. Short-term thinking often prevails. The boxers and their teams are trying to make the biggest paydays from this one fight that they Mm. can thing is, it might do OK on pay-per-view, um, even though that's not where it belongs, you know, in the sense of it being that great a fight or either guy being a true superstar. It still might do fairly well. Spence versus Mikey Garcia did a reported 360,000 buys. That That's pretty solid. That is good. Yeah. They, they had the Fox marketing machine behind them and they have it again for this one during football season. I would guess this does around the same number, maybe slightly lower because I think Garcia's fan base was bigger than Porter's. Mm, mm. But then again, Spence is a little better known now after that win over Garcia than he was going into that fight. So I'd guess somewhere right around the same, you know, maybe three hundred fifty thousand buys was is where I would set the line if I were setting a line. Uh, in a way, if you're not quite a superstar and you fight on pay per view anyway. That can be a mistake because you're not showcasing yourself for a wide audience. Um, however, uh, to sort of play devil's advocate here a little, uh, this is a-, a case I've made in the past. If you get your name in all those advertisements and on billboards and so forth as a pay-per-view headliner, it spreads your name around and it plants the idea in people's mm. heads going forward mm. that you're a pay-per-view guy. Right. Um Obviously, it's it's Spence who the promoters see as having the upside here. No offense to Sean Porter, but but Spence is the one being tabbed for potential superstardom. So by headlining two pay-per-views in one year, he's branding himself a pay-per-view fighter. So mm. maybe that pays off down the road, but I still think it would have been pretty cool to get a couple million people watching this fight live instead of putting it on pay-per-view, uh, yeah. especially if it ends up being a great fight. then Then it's even that much more of a shame uh, that the audience was reduced a bit. Um, yeah. so now, you know, I, have I've made clear that I expect Spence to win, but whoever wins, you can expect the drum beat afterward for him to face one of two opponents, uh, many Pacquiao as sort of a PBC tournament final in which this and Pacquiao Thurman were semifinals, uh, or the guy you already mentioned, Terrence Crawford, who, really has nobody to fight on the ESPN side of things and would presumably love to prove he's the best 147 pounder by beating the best on the PBC side. Is Spence Porter going to get us appreciably closer to clarity as to who rules the 147 pound class? (laughs) (laughs) Big exhale. Boxing.
0: Um, (laughs) So I was thinking about this. So I think if porter pulls off the upset then everything i just said about the relative positioning of spence and crawford obviously gets flushed down the drain and bud gets to sit smugly on his throne in omaha um you know as as much as a a porter upset win would theoretically muddy the waters it would leave us with one accepted number one guy in the division um and might perhaps remove some of the pressure for top rank to make a unification bout um if porter wins i think the manny Pacquiao fight is the more likely thing to happen, uh, unless he's locked into an immediate rematch with Spence. and I don't know. Um, and I could see Manny's people feeling very comfortable with making that matchup. I mean, a Porter-Pacquiao fight would make a ton of sense mm-hmm. um, if, if Sean is able to pull off the upset. Uh, uh, as we've expressed before, I'm tremendously nervous about the prospect of a Spence-Pacquiao fight. Yeah. Um, that would be an extraordinarily bad matchup for Manny. And I think the people around him know that um you know Freddie Roach clearly does although I don't know how much Manny is listening to him now right. on that kind of thing so um so I think if Porter wins we're more likely to see a Pacquiao fight if Spence wins we're going to see more of the pressure towards something with Crawford if it's a close win and an unconvincing win I wouldn't be surprised if Bob Aaron pours cold water on the whole thing and says ah the kid's no good I told you it was <laughs> no good um if it's or he'll say, you know what, sure, we'll make the fight, but he's got to come to ESPN and he's got to take right. the short money or something like that. But a big Spence win is really going to put the pressure on Aram to find a way to make that fight. And and Terence Crawford is going to be putting pressure on Aram yes. to make that fight, too. Um, You know, like Oscar DeLoyer is making mischief when he says things like Aram's going to end up keeping Terrence Crawford out of the Hall of Fame <laughs> by not matching him with good fighters. But, you know, but we'll see and hear things like that. And, and you know, those people around him will, will as well. And um you know and he's he's going to want to absolutely as you talked about establish himself definitively as the guy so so yes in summary i think a big spence win is most likely to scare away pacquiao and force crawford and arum's hands and a porter win i think is most likely to to set up a pacquiao fight and i i hope i don't really see a spence pacquiao fight and i hope we don't see a spence
1: pacquiao fight yeah um Oscar's really turning into a hot take machine, uh, isn't he? It's like uh, he he just kind of says the opposite of whatever makes sense sometimes, uh, just... Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's keeping Ter- Terrence Crawford out of the Hall of Fame, uh, <laughs> no. but he, he knows how to uh, how to say something that will get a little attention. He's, uh, yeah, yeah. Learned, studied at the feet of Stephen A. Smith I, or, or something like that. <laughs> um, so the pay-per-view undercard here is solid, uh, including the co-feature for a 168-pound belt, Anthony Durrell versus David Benavidez. Uh, Benavidez, one of my picks for uh, what turned out to be the boring first-name team in our rising star <laughs> right. draft. Um, somewhat surprisingly, when all is said and done, we might be saying that Anthony Durrell had the better pro career than his Olympic medalist brother, Andre. Anthony is now 33-1-1, coming off a, a tough technical decision win over Avni Yildirim in February. The undefeated 6-foot-2-inch Benavidez last fought in March, blowing out Jay Leon Love in two rounds. Does Durrell represent the toughest test yet for the 22-year-old from Phoenix?
0: Well, so far, I think probably arguably the toughest test for Benavidez and his most challenging opponent has been himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, obviously he failed a drug test. He got involved in an ugly contract dispute. He had his alphabet belt taken away from him. But he has come back strongly uh, from that. And as you say, he looked absolutely sensational against Jaylion Love. I mean, he looked massive and strong that night, didn't he? I mean, he yeah. just blew, blew Jaleon away. Um, it was, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it about Darrell until you mentioned that. You know, maybe he's he's quietly putting together the better pro career. Of course, Andre was never quite the same after being concussed by Arthur Abraham. Whatever was going on there, and it just it just never quite picked up again for him after that. Um, but um, but Anthony's hard to judge still, isn't he? Even after all this time, um, since losing to Badu Jack, he's he's mostly faced off against largely unexceptional opposition. And not always look sensational. And then in the middle of that, he has a one-round blowout of, of Caleb Truax. It's, it's he's weird. He's kind of hard to put to sort of pin down. He, he's mm-hmm. the kind of guy Benavidez could absolutely dominate and look really good against. He's also the kind of guy who could fire up some veteran moves or some power shot from nowhere and give Benavidez an absolutely torrid time. It's really hard to predict what might happen in that fight, I think um also on this card is somebody that i drafted on our rising stars podcast mario barrios he's 24 and 0 with 16 ko's he meets batir akhmedov of russia who has had only seven pro fights he's seven and with six ko's um you know i'm high on barrios and i know i believe that you are too uh akhmedov i know nothing about uh there is some footage of him available but uh what have you found out about him and what kind of a threat do you think he presents to barrios
1: A very real threat uh, to to Mm -hmm. the point where I would consider this a 50-50 fight between up-and-comers. And And, uh, if anything, I might favor Akhmadov. Uh, Just, you know, I've only seen a little, so kind of rushing to judgment. But um, Akhmadov is a southpaw, and he came up training with Vasily Lomachenko and Oleksandr Usyk. And he has been compared stylistically to Lomachenko, you know, a a human version of Lomachenko. (laughs) Um, He has excellent footwork. Uh, He goes to the body well. He's just a really gifted fighter. This might be one of those situations that it's a little like the Pacquiao-led Waba fight, where people come in talking about one guy and knowing very Mm. little about the opponent and come out talking all about the other guy because he dazzled and won big. Uh, So... Watch for Akhmadov. Uh, again, I, I'm not saying he's like a big favorite here and I'm expecting him to Pacquiao uh, Mario Barrios, but he's he's very live here. This this is a risk that, that Barrios' people are taking based on the little I've seen of him. Hmm. Uh, rounding out that card, uh, battle of mid 30s veterans with eight losses apiece. Uh, Josecito Lopez versus John Molina which sure looks on paper like a fun, competitive fight, if not a great one for the cognitive futures of the participants. Molina might be a tiny bit longer in the tooth of the two, uh, and Lopez is coming off that surprisingly competitive defeat to Keith Thurman. Do you make the Riverside Rocky, as they call him, the favorite here?
0: Yeah, I, I do. Molina's another one of those guys who I think are on the verge of not wanting to see him fight much more. Um you know, he's been less than active since his disappointing showing against Terence Crawford um, a few years ago, three years ago. Um, you know, he missed way and then he just got completely outclassed in the ring. Uh, he's fought just twice since then, somehow managing to KO Ivan Redkak, uh before losing to your favorite fighter, Omar Figueroa Jr. Um <laughs> He's a, yeah, he's an odd one, though, isn't he? He's like, it seems like he's done for a while. He gets a sequence of losses and then he pulls out a performance like he did against Ruslan Provodnikov. But it does feel as if those days are long gone. Um, you know, and Lopez is another one who. You know, sometimes feels as if he's sort of on the downslope, and then produces an unexpected performance. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you say, he did look very good against Thurman. Um, and at least over the last decade, he's really only lost to very good opponents: Canelo, Marcos Maidana, Andre Berto, Thurman. He's not getting knocked over by also rans. Um, right. So yeah, I, I would expect Lopez to have uh, have too much here and uh, and and come out the victor against uh, uh, against Molina. Right. Um, Not a lot of other action this coming weekend. Um, The only other particularly notable fight features yet another one of our rising stars. One that you stole from me before (laughs) I even had the chance to get going. Your very first pick in the draft, damn it all to hell, heavyweight Daniel Dubois, who meets Ebenezer Tete in London on Friday, September 27th. Uh, That will be shown on The Plus as I think the kids call it. Uh, I, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing Dubois again. I assume you are looking forward to seeing him in action as well.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Daniel Dubois just turned 22, uh, still developing, takes on his second straight undefeated opponent in Teta, but Teta really just a club fighter in Ghana. 19-0, uh, and 0, but I looked at the guys he was fighting. You've never heard of any of them, and most of them have losing records. So I expect this to be a showcase for Dubois, but yes, I will definitely be watching. And uh, let's wrap up the show with a look at the the outside-the-ring news. Uh, And it hasn't been the busiest of weeks on that front, uh, but there are a couple of stories uh, that I talked about on last week's pod that are worth following up on. First, I made the assertion that the Nevada Commission screwed up big time by failing to communicate to Tyson Fury's corner that his cut was caused by a punch, which in turn led to criticism for ESPN over Bernardo Osuna, at Joe Tessitore's urging, being the one to inform Ben Davison about the ruling, A couple of days later, ESPN's Dan Raphael followed up and spoke to Bob Bennett from the Nevada Commission, and Bennett admitted to him that, quote, we dropped the ball. So I feel validated for my take. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Kieran, uh, you have not had a chance to weigh in on the fury Valine bloodbath at all. Anything you'd like to say about it, uh, as long as we're on the subject? Well, ESPN isn't widely available on
0: Baffin Island or in northwestern Greenland. So uh, confession, I have yet to actually see the fight. Um, I was able to log on long enough to check out the result and some reporting about it. And yes, I know I've been back a couple of days now and I've had the opportunity. but I've Priorities, man. Fight, uh, but I've had live fights to watch and laundry ah. to do and naps to take. Oh, so many naps. <laughs> okay. um, so my original thought. Um, was that we called it quite well. And uh, having studied Otto Valin without having had the opportunity to actually see him fight more than one round, I think we both recognized that he was substantially better than the more dismissive crit- critics were giving him credit for. I think because they hadn't heard of him, it was a case of, ah, this guy's going to be another Tom Schwartz. Right. But, um, but I think we recognized that he's better than that while also clearly not being good enough to beat Tyson Fury. Um, uh, but I do have a question about it that, only you can answer Eric. um so afterwards Peter Fury was really unhappy with how his son looked I said he'd never look worse um that he's you know that he just needs to change the whole corner it's just a disaster um was that criticism fair did he did Tyson Fury look that bad even as he wound up a fairly comfortable points winner um and based on and maybe you've covered this and I apologize if you have but based on what we saw the other night does it tell us anything about his chances? in a wilder rematch, or is this just one of those cases where, you know, Fury just half asses it until he has to really focus and step it up a gear.
1: Yeah. I I don't think that was a a fair assessment from, uh, from Peter Mm. Fury. Uh, I thought Tyson got off to a slow start, uh, maybe took Valine lightly and, and had a game plan and absolute confidence that he could pull it off. So (laughs) yes, through two rounds, it was looking like an off night for Tyson Fury. Uh, But after he got cut in the third, and, uh, you know, Fury's undefeated record was clearly in real jeopardy from that point on. He fought his ass off, uh, but he also fought smart and he wore Valine down and he dominated the second half of the fight other than a moment in the 12th round when Valine rocked him. Um, but, you know, I think we've seen throughout his career, Fury gets up for his biggest fights and sometimes yeah. doesn't bring his A game for the lesser yeah. fights. So I don't think this tells us much about a Wilder rematch. We will see a more focused Fury that night. Uh, I heard a ridiculous comment somewhere. I forget who said it, but someone wondered if Fury looked bad because that one combination from Wilder in round 12 ruined him, took a lot out of him. Uh, I mean, come on. He he looked as good (laughs) as ever against Tom Schwartz uh, and and didn't look like a faded fighter at all in this fight. He just you know, got off to a bit of a, a slow start and, you know, had the misfortune of a punch landing that opened up a big cut that he had to deal with. Um, I do think it is fair after seeing him wobbled by Valine in round 12 to maybe start to predict that Wilder is a little bit more likely to knock Fury Mm. out next time than you might have predicted otherwise. And it's very fair to wonder about the cut and whether Wilder will open that back up. Uh, But Fury fought pretty damn well for the final nine rounds against Valine under the circumstances. And there's still a perfectly strong case that he's the favorite against Wilder and that he's the best heavyweight in the world. And I don't think Peter Fury's take on this counts for much, really.
0: And I will commit to you that by the time of our next podcast, I will have watched the fight. Not that we necessarily will have reason to discuss it yet more, but that's just from me to you,
1: Eric. Okay. Commitment. <laughs> I appreciate that. And they who knows? Promise. Maybe you'll see something that you feel so compelled to talk about that we will uh, bring it up again next week. But, but it's not, possible. it can wait. Yeah. Indeed. It. Uh, also, uh, another story that I touched on last week was the very public tension between Ryan Garcia and Golden Boy Promotions. But this past Wednesday, King Rye signed a five-year contract extension with Golden Boy, and announced that he'll fight Romero Duno on November 2nd on the Canelo Kovalev undercard. I don't know if you've been watching this soap opera play out at all, Kieran. Uh, You certainly were away uh, while a lot of it was going on. Uh, It seems to me both sides have been manipulating reporters a bit, getting them to tweet out their messages for them. I don't know how much of the tension was really real but it ends up being much ado about nothing, at least until the next dramatic turn. Anything to comment on here?
0: So I was only able to get on the Internet like for brief periods occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I got on, there was a tweet from Brian Garcia. It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of funny. I saw more of this than I did of anything else in the, hmm. in the last three weeks. Um, look, I had heard for quite some time that there's been some legit tension between these two sides. And, and a lot of that i had heard had been coming from golden boy who felt that you know they were growing a little bit concerned at the sense that garcia was becoming a bit entitled too soon that his entourage was too big and that he was already expecting too much but um yeah but it does feel as you said as if both sides were very intentionally taking this public um to suit both their ends um and i think in the end it was a purely business decision um garcia recognizing that he could get a better deal staying with golden boy than trying to make himself a free agent and and get a deal as a kid with an unknown upside with somebody else. Um, right. And I think Golden Boy, especially because they are, I think, aware, well, of course they're aware that their relationship with Canelo is not especially good, um, wanting to make sure they don't lose any of their prospects, especially one who they have molded in a sense that I think they perhaps feel that of their prospects, he's the one who—and I'm not equating the two—but uh, that perhaps he ticks the most Canelo-ish type boxes. You know, uh, me- Mexican fan base, young, good-looking, talented, undefeated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So right. uh, it suits both guys, both sides, to to make that deal. I think.
1: Yeah, and and uh, we've heard that Canelo and Ryan Garcia have become friendly, and so the key for Golden Boy for the next several years is keeping Canelo happy in any way possible. He is their golden goose. And so uh, if signing Ryan Garcia to a a long-term deal and uh, trying to smooth over any rough edges there, uh, you know, that's that's something that takes priority if if it helps keep Canelo happy
0: exactly uh a couple other items uh keith thurman announced that he won't be fighting again until 2020 because of injuries and it really does feel unfortunately as if that his body is just breaking down completely now um and one wonders how much longer he has in the in the game um but he's a super likable guy he's a class act uh and we certainly wish him well in his healing and if he's able to come back and uh perform at a high level we look forward to that um uh, finally you and al bernstein uh your hall of fame co-host um <laughs> spoke a couple of weeks ago about jermaine franklin see we begin with a franklin and we end mm, with a franklin yeah. we just we don't just throw this podcast together you know <laughs> um about him being added to the Clarissa shields uh ivana habazin card on october 5th and it's now a triple header on showtime as welterweight prospect Jerron boots ennis takes on demian daniel fernandez uh we will be Previewing that whole card, of course, next week. Uh, but I know Boots is a prospect we're both high on. And once again,
1: somebody very nearly selected in our rising star draft, which is one of the things of this podcast. Indeed. A nice through line for this whole podcast here. Yeah, he, he was in the next couple of names on my draft board. A very gifted fighter from Philly. Uh, I've been quite clear about not enjoying the whole Jermaine Franklin experience so far. Yeah. uh Him being on this card doesn't add a whole lot for me. Boots Ennis does. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying what I've seen of the Boots Ennis experience uh, and uh, he he makes this show that much more of a must see.
0: Boots Ennis experience it sounds like that should be like some kind of <laughs> blues band or something.
1: Yeah, I was thinking maybe a little more in like the 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 P funk vein, a little George yeah. Clinton kind of something, yeah, something along those go. lines. But uh, yeah. yeah, give me let's let's get ourselves two tickets for the Boots and Experience <laughs> next time it rolls through town. <laughs> there you go.
0: All right, that will do it for this episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and once again Mulvaney. <laughs> uh, next week we will, as we just said, preview the Shields Habazin Showtime card, as well as Gennady Golovkin against Sergey Derevyanchenko, and we will of course review Spence Porter. Until then, thanks for listening.